Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Personalized Care Podcast. I'm Bogdan Kivajurka and throughout this series we're exploring the impact of personalized care in ensuring people have choice and control over the way their care is planned and delivered. We've already spoken about the role of person-centered care in long COVID, women's health and a brilliant conversation on tackling health inequalities through personalized care in our last episode. If you've missed any of these episodes, do go back and download them. In today's episode, we're finding out how early exposure to personalized care principles can empower health and care professionals to embed this approach into their day-to-day interactions with patients in the long term. Joining me to discuss are three fantastic guests, including Dr. Artie Maney, Deputy Director for Undergraduate Primary Care Education at Imperial College London, Occupational Therapy Trainee Anya de Jong, and junior doctor Amy Dowick. Uh, Artie, welcome to the podcast and it's so fantastic to have you with us today and to hear uh, your thoughts on the topic of today's episode, the importance or the role of personalised care in the undergraduate and postgraduate curriculum. Thank you very much Bogdan, I'm delighted to be here today with you. I'll just let you say a few words about yourself, tell us what you do and, and I guess a bit of a glimpse into your work first of all. So I suppose to start with, I've been working clinically as a GP in the NHS, which I still do. Um, I've been in the medical field for about the last 20 years or so. And I'm also a medical educator at Imperial College London. And as you mentioned earlier, I work there as deputy director for undergraduate primary care education. And I'm also the coaching lead for Imperial's Medical Education and Research Centre. Amazing, Arati. Thank you for that. How, how important do you feel um, the subject of personalised care as an umbrella uh, is? And then we can unpick some of those principles in there, I guess. Well, I think it's hugely important. Personalised care should really be embedded throughout healthcare more generally. And, and we're applying science in practice, really, with the patients that we meet. And good healthcare is about doing this in a way that is uniquely tailored to the patient taking into account their own life context, their ideas, their values, and what matters most to them. And I think that to do this, it's really essential to work in partnership with patients because ultimately they are the ones that know themselves the best. And so embedding this within the training of healthcare students right from the outset is key to helping our future healthcare professionals really develop those skills and the mindset for truly personalised care. And Artie, I'm very curious, how do students perceive personalised care when they're first introduced to it alongside other um, competing aspects within the curriculum, um, such as anatomy and physiology, for example? Yeah, it's a really good question, isn't it? And I think that my experience has been that if students see that personalised care is valued and that it's emphasised as an essential skill rather than just an optional extra by their teachers, their institutions, by you know the healthcare professionals they work with and, and the patients that they meet on their placements, then they will also value its importance and they are then keen to learn the principles and put these into practice. And I see this year on year with the medical students. 
Absolutely. And, and I think we, we, we start quite young with this as well. I'm thinking back to my work experience in school. The most exciting part for me was thinking about any practical ways of taking blood or, or doing blood pressures. But I, I rarely thought about that a unique aspect of sitting down with someone, finding out what truly matters to them, working in partnership with them, mapping out their problems and co-designing and supporting them step by step. Uh, and I wonder whether we, we have to play a role a bit early in our careers uh, as well. Absolutely. So I remember when I was at medical school 20 years ago, we had none of this type of training, certainly nothing around exploration or even valuing patients, you know, ideas or perceptions of what was going on. And things are very different now, I think, in, in medical student training, certainly in, in my experience. And at Imperial, we begin this training right from the outset of their first year um, of, of medical school. But actually, I think that these are skills that school pupils actually respond to really well as well. And with my other hat on, with my coaching hat on, I've been involved with training uh, school pupils in coaching skills. And those skills are very person-centred. And what I have realised, and it's been really eye-opening, is actually these are skills that you don't have to wait even until undergraduate level. You can teach them very early on, and then it becomes an extension and building on that year on year with, with any additional training. But certainly, I have found that the skills that students at Imperial, by introducing them to these skills early on, and by supporting that development, giving them opportunities to reflect... Even first-year medical students who are very, very junior in the medical school course can become really skilled at these approaches. And it's very powerful, very inspiring, actually, to see. I'm also touching upon one of your comments, which brings me nicely to, to the idea of having role models. And we do act as role models in formal and informal environments for those around us. Uh, and I was curious what your thoughts were on, on our uh, sphere of influence around others. Yeah. So it's really vital, I think, that students experience great role models in personalised care, and particularly when they're on their clinical placements and seeing how this works in a real life setting with real interactions with often really diverse patients. And these experiences can be so powerful. And students remember these experiences for a very long time. So very impactful. And, and we know that role modelling has a huge influence in shaping students' values and behaviours and how they see themselves as, as healthcare professionals. So it's really important to be aware of our own impact as role models in these situations. Uh, I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts navigating that impending time barrier within the clinical environment. I've personally always seen it as an upfront time investment, uh, but I'm curious as to what your thoughts are uh, in personalised care when we have 10 minute appointments, when we have the, the impending doom of the appointment ending soon. So I suppose I, what I think is that the best way to shape attitudes and values in our students or, or in our trainees is to hold those attitudes and values ourselves and to allow those to show up in our interactions with patients, with colleagues, with, with our own students. And I think the role modelling is, is really key to students learning as they develop their own professional identities with this. And I think, and this comes back to your question around how do you do this in, in 10 minutes, I think if we really do want to practice personalised care towards others, then actually 
we need to go back to first principles. We need to start by taking care of ourselves, by being compassionate towards ourselves and watching out for signs of burnout in ourselves and others. And I think especially during these pandemic times and also doing what we can do to influence the wider system, to get those conditions right so that we can live and work in a healthy and balanced way. And if we can work towards this, then I I think we're going to be in a much better position to really embody personalised care, even within that 10 minutes. But actually, we should be aspiring to a longer than 10 minute appointment. You know, there comes a time where you do have to say enough is enough with what we can realistically achieve. But also what we need to sort of bear in mind is that it isn't enough simply to say the right things robotically in that appointment to tick the right boxes for personalised care. And instead, it's for me about connecting with people on a genuinely human level and we need to care. And to do that, we need to feel human ourselves. So I think, you know, if if I had to just sum it up, personalised care is about connecting with others in a human way and taking those steps to feel human ourselves in whatever way works for us. Mm, beautifully put, uh, Artie. And I, I think it is the reason why many of us have chosen healthcare careers, I guess, in general, isn't it? I'm very curious if you have any personal examples of, from reflections from, from your students or any stories around uh, how, how perceptions have changed perhaps into some of them. So, Bogdan, I can honestly say what... I've experienced with teaching students health coaching skills over these last few years. You know, it's been transformational for me, actually, just to recognise, actually, this is something that previously has been the domain of postgraduate training. And often it's sort of seen, well, they're undergraduate students, you know, this is an advanced skill. But actually teaching this early and watching students fly with this training and, and what they're able to then achieve is pretty phenomenal and so many examples of what students have have told me about this in the in the sort of practice setting what we do is give students the opportunity to try this out with each other to start with but not as a role play we ask them to bring their own real life issues as material that they can then use for coaching practice with each other and that in itself is powerful because it's often the very first time that our students are being put in the role of a recipient of this approach for real with their own issue. And that in itself really generates a lot of light bulb moments for people. And then when you're in the coaching role in that situation, just that recognition, which previously they haven't had a chance to implement in this way, but the recognition that actually, you know, you don't have to provide advice on this, but simply by asking powerful non-directive questions questions where you're inviting the other person to give their perspective and and, sh- and develop their own thinking actually is hugely powerful but this is the first time often that these students are experiencing the impact of that and that has been hugely powerful what they then do is we give them the opportunity to practice this in real life settings with patients and then they come back to us for for debriefing that. And we've had examples of students um, applying these skills in such a wide range of situations from um, behaviour change consultations where they're working with with, um, patients 
who have issues perhaps around wanting to lose weight or wanting to exercise more, some aspect of patients who might have diabetes who want to address lifestyle measures but they're feeling stuck. Often those students have really been able to work very effectively with these patients to to, um, support them to move forward. But again, with that principle that the, the patient is the one that is best placed to identify the solutions that will work for them. We've had students who have been applying these situations with patients who might be presenting with um, a mental health issue. They may have experienced some level of emotional um, distress. They may um, be depressed, the patients that the students are working with. And simple questions that start with the patient's perspective just something as simple as actually you know what would you what would you like to ideally be going on in this situation patients hardly ever ask those questions in my experience and and what the students have found is when they are asking those questions something quite powerful can happen in those consultations and it can start to shift the consultation to a different focus where there is a genuine sort of appreciation of the patient's perspective, but also the patient is feeling heard, listened to, and and it can be very powerful actually, very impactful from a patient's position to to have that experience of of speaking with someone in the healthcare field where their own perspective is valued in that way. That has been really powerful for the students to see and be part of. And students have certainly reported back to us that they found this extremely rewarding. And in in a number of cases, it's really, in several cases, actually, it's really reaffirmed um, for them the value of this approach and reaffirmed their motivation almost for even wanting to go into medicine in the first place, which is something that sadly can sometimes get lost in all the stresses and the pressures of exams and and everything else. So so that's been really rewarding for me actually as a as a um, a facilitator of this training. That that's such a rich and fascinating model. Arty, we're reaching the end of this, but any tips for our uh, listeners who are healthcare professionals? Uh, anything that comes to mind from yourself? I think, Bogdan, it's probably along the lines of what we've spoken about earlier, really. It's about holding those attitudes and values within ourselves, And if we can live them within ourselves and really sort of feel it as opposed to something that we can switch on and off, then it will show up in our interactions with, with patients, with colleagues, with students, with, with others. And if we are then living those values then we are automatically going to become those very positive role models for those that we are interacting with. And I think that that starts with taking care of ourselves enough to then feel human as opposed to a robot. And we can then start to live those values by connecting with others as humans. And Bogdan, I just want to briefly share an example of this. Not too long ago, I was in the situation of being a relative of a person who was very ill and was needing inpatient hospital care. And I was visiting this relative very, very frequently. And we developed a code between us, actually, for the interactions that they were finding themselves having with the healthcare professionals on the ward. And the code was a really simple one. Is this person a human 
or is this person a robot? And it was just a sort of, a, you know, in, in some ways it was a bit of a kind of a, a game, but in other ways there was something really actually quite fundamental about this because what I was experiencing and what my relative was was experiencing is that there were people who were interacting with him who were on the surface saying the right things. They might smile, hello, how can I help you? But as soon as they're became any depth to that conversation that person on the other end was stuck and they couldn't relate to my relative as, as a human they, they didn't have a, a pre-programmed response sometimes and it became quite awkward in direct contrast to those who were just human who were present and you know when all is said and done you know even if nothing else is going on you know even if you have five minutes with that person there isn't anything to stop you from being human in that situation with that person, except if you're not feeling human yourself. So I think that's where that the sort of my, my thinking on that is that if we can maximise ourselves being human, you know, recognising how and, and, and taking steps to consider how we can reflect more, how we can experience that, that sense of being human, how we can show empathy to others in a meaningful, genuine way and there's an interesting thing about empathy, actually, which I'm sure you may well be aware of, that we often will talk about how empathy is really important. We certainly, um, you know, have all of our assessments, for example, will include some focus on empathic skills. But the thing about empathy, according to some quite powerful research, I think, is that empathy is linked to who we might perceive we are similar to. And that's really important to recognise, because what does that mean in practice? Does that mean that we might empathise more with those that we perceive ourselves as similar to, as opposed to what about you know, people from diverse backgrounds that are not backgrounds shared by us? What does that mean? And, and how do we counter that? So I think these are really important questions that we need to ask ourselves to really unpick these concepts of empathy compassion even even the concept actually of personalized medicine and person-centered care what does that mean who are the people is there a one-size-fits-all approach or how do we take into account people's unique set of circumstances and situations and backgrounds and experiences and for me if we can do that then that really is person-centered care Thank you very much, Artie, for a, a wonderful introduction showcasing the importance of and, and the need for uh, making personalised care a core concept part of the undergraduate and, and postgraduate um, training. We're now going to explore how trainees perceive this training within the clinical environment. And with great pleasure, I'd like to introduce you all to our next guests. Um, Anya and Amy, welcome to the Personalised Podcast. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself, starting with you, Anya. Thanks so much, Robin. So hi, my name is Anya Diong. I'm currently getting towards the end of my occupational therapy training as a student, and I'm also the AHP lead for the Student Social Prescribing Scheme. Thanks so much for having me today. Welcome, uh, Anya. Amy? Thank you for the introduction, Bogdan, and for inviting me to talk about um, a topic that I'm very passionate about. So my name is Amy, and I've done a master in medical education and have recently graduated from medical school. So I'm now working as a junior doctor at the Royal Hampshire Hospital. Amazing. Well, it's a great pleasure having you both uh, here. So, Anya, let's dig right into it. You're both obviously big personalised care fans, I think it's fair to say. Uh, how straightforward has it been to embed personalised care in your clinical placements? And what have some of the challenges been so far? 
I have to admit, it's been more challenging than I thought it would be. So having been super passionate about personalised care and worked a lot in it before starting my master's to train as an OT, I felt that it would always be absolutely central to my practice. And I was really surprised when I went on placement and I had all of this clinical interventions and clinical kind of assessments to to try and get my head around how much that took up more of my headspace than thinking about personalised care and I was quite really reflected on actually some of my interactions when I was a student probably weren't that person-centred because I felt like so much of my headspace and concentration was focusing on the assessments and the interventions and perhaps some of those more clinical not that personalized care isn't clinical but perhaps some of those more clinical interventions and that really kind of struck me and I guess it comes back to this idea I know they talk about in medicine but certainly appreciate it from an AHP perspective of this hidden curriculum so there's all these things that we talk about at uni and the emphasis that it's given at uni then actually in reality there's so many other kind of competing pressures on our thinking space really. So what are some of those competing elements and and how did you navigate them, Anya? So I think part of it is the way our learning outcomes are structured. So you you kind of go on a clinical placement and you have a list of learning outcomes around your clinical reasoning and your approach to research and lots of other things. And and I would argue that personalised care is implicit within all of those. But I think sometimes there's this you feel a little bit of pressure to be doing all of the the clinical assessments and focusing on exactly how to do this particular tool or this particular set of questions. And although you want to do it in a person-centred way, I think sometimes the other learning feels like it's more there. I mean, it is still part of our outcome measures for placement, but really interestingly, it's our, certainly from my experience, it's my educators that marked how person-centred I was. And I actually wondered whether they were the right people. My educators have been fantastic, but did wonder whether they're the right people to be marking how person-centred I was or wasn't actually the people that we're looking after and supporting should really be the judge of that. How do we navigate that difficult clinical environment when there's so much happening to make sure we don't forget about personalised care principles? So I think it's very difficult to prioritise personalised care when you're in a hospital that's very busy, especially with all the winter pressures at the moment. It can be very difficult to take that initial time investment into personalised care and things like shared decision making when you're in such a busy and high pressure environment. And um, thinking about things that we frequently encounter day to day, like prescribing patients medications after they've been seen in the ward round and we've had a discussion about it actually taking those five minutes to go back to the patient and talk to them about it and try and make it more of a two-way conversation rather than a paternalistic relationship can make a big difference we I think we know that about 50 percent of medications prescribed aren't taken in the way that we prescribe them and if we spend that five minutes of time explaining to the patients why we would want to prescribe them and if they would like to take it then that can increase compliance and overall uh, increase health outcomes and reduce further admissions but it can be very hard to make that initial time investment but I think we just have to take a time to appreciate the bigger picture and think about that time investment in a more long-term way. When I have had the time to take those five minutes, um, they've been very rewarding. And I think that's what's sort of allowed me to continue working in a high pressure environment is taking those things that you find rewarding in the job. Thank you, Amy. That's uh, an interesting point that Artie also made earlier about the rigidity of the system. And Annie, I'm curious about your experience in occupational therapy as well. Yeah, I mean... 
before I started um, my AT training and was kind of really advocating for, for personalised care, it was the biggest barrier that I kept hearing when I was talking to healthcare professionals. We haven't got the time time to do this. And now having sort of done some clinical placements, I can understand that. But I think as, as Amy's just said, it, it saves time in the long run. So actually, you know, on placement, taking that time to, to have that conversation and to build that trust. So actually I had a... A patient where it took me a couple of, of sessions to for them to feel comfortable and us to have that rapport for them to share a bit more about how they actually weren't coping at the time and and I remember feeling sort of oh god this is awful that it's taken me three sessions of this person for this information to come through um, it was really helpfully reassured by one of my educators that actually it takes that time to build the relationship for someone to feel comfortable enough to share information which is quite personal quite sensitive and actually that time has, has paid off because you have that information, you can then kind of work work with it. So I think it's a real kind of age old thing, isn't it? But it's that investing the time and you do then save it in the long run. And also working out what that time means from that person's perspective. So for us, I remember as a patient, you know, one appointment for me would be a massive deal in my diary because I only saw my healthcare professionals once a year or something like that. Whereas when I've been on clinical practice placements, I've seen hands full of patients each day when COVID hasn't hasn't disrupted that so you do get a slightly different sense of what time means and I think it's really important to actually remember how significant that still is from the person's perspective and their family of course as well. Absolutely and upfront investment of time does pay off as we've all seen in, in many circumstances but here's a tricky question Anya is there a danger of artificially ticking boxes and falling into the trap of thinking we are delivering person-centred care without actually doing it. I'm kind of quite acutely aware of it in OT, but I'm sure it applies to, to lots of other AHPs, nursing and, and medical staff as well. We go into healthcare and we chase these professions because they're person-centred. And we talk about how, particularly in OT, how it, you know, person-centredness is absolutely at the heart of what we do. We might apply to a to a trust or a team or a specialty, like Amy's already talked about general practice, where it inherently feels very person-centred and that feels kind of implicitly part of the conversations. And I guess it's just that portion that we're we're checking that that is still the case so just because the narrative suggests that this is a very person-centered profession or a very person-centered specialism doesn't mean that it then actually still always happens um so i think one of my concerns over the years i've spent around the area of personalized care is this idea of being pseudo person-centered so actually we're sort of doing shared decision making or we're talking about self-management but actually it's not really genuine and I think as students we are in a really privileged position it seems hard to do this sometimes but we are in quite a privileged position to be able to to ask those questions and to be really curious on placement and I guess I'd encourage students to to use that opportunity to to reflect ourselves but also to challenge our colleagues to make sure that this is kind of genuine person-centeredness and we're not falling into this kind of pseudo person-centered trap which you know I've fallen in myself guilty of this as well so just a sort of a challenge there. Now, you're both advocates of personalised care. So how important has it been that you've been exposed to these concepts uh, in your training early on? For example, uh, Amy, in your medical school training? I think it's really important. And I think what's really helped with this now is the introduction of early clinical exposure. Because I think when you go on placement in first year, well, certainly I didn't understand half the terms that the healthcare professionals were using. So I was sort of focusing on the 
more communications that was happening between the doctor and the patient and those more subtle things which instantly brought to light the importance of holistic care and good communication skills and rapport with patients and healthcare professionals. So having that from early on in med school meant that you could build on those skills throughout your education um, and training. So I think that's really helped and it's very important. And Anna, how important do you feel um, it's been that you've covered some of those aspects before um, going into the clinical environment at all? Yeah, for me, it was it was really important. I think kind of echoing what Amy said, it, it gave you that sense of confidence because it can be really daunting going in and doing your first kind of consultation or, or therapy session with someone as a, as a student. So having that confidence that you can have that conversation, I think really, really, really helped. I think it also, for me, helped in terms of motivation as well. So all of my course, bar from the first five weeks, has been predominantly kind of virtual online and and things like that because of COVID and I think it really helped with that sense of connection that I think quite a lot of us have probably missed generally but also particularly as as students that's been I think really really helpful and a lot of I know we're talking about personalised care in the sense of um, our patients but actually I think it helps you sort of working groups and with your peers as well and particularly kind of like working with your educators and all of those different people that will meet on different placements I think it's really important for that as well so for me it's really important I just feel like you then start with the right habits rather than starting and then having to kind of relearn your approaches. Mm, and and rightly said, uh, Anya, working together with your colleagues and working across the disciplines, uh, which is absolutely crucial because it's something you will do for the rest of your life. So it has to be uh, a core principle in there. Now, whether we like it or not, and, and I'm hoping we do like it, we act as role models, don't we, for those surrounding us on a, on a daily basis. So how, how important have role models been to you with regards to, to personalised care, um, Anya? Uh, massively I've been really really beneficial to have um, fantastic role models in all of the work um, that I've done a lot of probably the most influential role models that I've had have been people who've had lived experience so people who've used healthcare services as patients people with lived experience clients whatever terminology we're, we're using and seeing them have influence over the system and change things for the better had a massive impact on me in terms of realizing what could be possible um, but also recognizing the contribution that people with lived experience can make to the system and really kind of emphasizing that whole kind of equal partnerships so I had significant health conditions myself and became really involved in the whole patient leadership movement as it was known at the time and I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it hadn't been for those role models giving me these opportunities in healthcare which then opens kind of additional doors and now I'm in OT I've got some fantastic role models within the profession as well but I do really think those with lived experience have a a fantastic um, contribution to make. Thank you, Anya. And a brilliant call to action there to make sure we do embed lived experience um, in teaching uh, and everything that we do um, involving trainees. Amy, curious uh, for your thoughts around the importance of role models um, over the years. First, I'd just like to echo what Anya said, that um, patients, when they were integrated into our teaching, had a massive impact on what we learnt and played a really key role in highlighting the importance of personalised care. 
also um, assessments we know assessments drive learnings for students so when I was being assessed on at the bedside or after I'd clerked a patient on what their key signs were and symptoms but often the patient's environment or social history was not focused on which had was frustrating when we had learned in lectures that 90% of a patient's health is usually influenced by the social determinants of health. So I think we need to reflect that in our assessments and in clinical placements when we're discussing cases. Really good point there, um, Amy, around assessments and making sure that uh, personalised care is being assessed alongside um, other elements um, as well. I'm, I'm very curious, Amy, have there been less positive role models uh, in, in your life that could have done with a bit more encouragement uh, around these aspects? Yes, I think on some of my placements, I have encountered that and it can be really hard as a junior member of the team to speak up about that kind of thing. But since moving on to my elderly care placement that I'm on currently we have a multidisciplinary team meeting after the ward round and I think that environment is a really good place to challenge some of those behaviours and the different members of the team feel enabled to have a voice and so in that department I've noticed that there's a lot more personalised care happening because of that meeting which only takes half an hour of the day so it's something in my future placements that I'll try and hopefully continue doing after each ward round. Absolutely and it's making personalised care everyone's business um, doesn't it? Um, now we're, we're reaching my, my favourite part uh, of the podcast, um, the one which I'm inviting today's guest to, to share with us some practical tips for, for our listeners. So let's start with, with you Anya, uh, what would be your top tip uh, on a practical note for healthcare professionals listening um, to us today? God, it's so difficult to just choose one thing isn't it because there's so many things and I think personalised care is a it's not kind of one action we do that makes us person-centred. It's it's not that simple. It's like the kind of cumulative impact of everything we do, our values and, and everything behind that. I think the, the sort of practical, tangible thing that I can probably suggest is given this is kind of talking about training I guess this might be aimed slightly more at students rather than qualified but actually with CPD and everything we're learning the whole way through our professional careers aren't we and that's about finding the patient perspective in things so obviously the patients that you'll be seeing in clinic is a really valuable source of that but we've talked about time it's often difficult to find that length of time to really talk to people in, in depth um, so my kind of recommendation as it guess as it were would be to find patient blogs find patients who are vlogging podcasting talking on social media about their own lived experience um, of these conditions there's fantastic patients out there who are doing fantastic work and I think following and reading what they're doing is a really brilliant way to just see more of the reality of, of their experiences but also start to recognise them as genuine equal partners both in our kind of clinical settings in consultations and therapy sessions but also kind of more strategically in anything we're doing around service improvement, research, policy and anything like that. Love that, thank you Anya. Um, Amy, top tips from your end? So as Anya said, it's very difficult to just pick one thing, but I think something quite simple that we can all do is that next time you're giving a student feedback on an examination or just asking questions about a case, just try and reflect all the elements of the biopsychosocial model, um, as we should do in our practice, also in our assessment and when we're talking about cases. Um, and hopefully this will encourage students to reflect and acknowledge the importance of personalised care and the social determinants of health and acknowledge this earlier on in their training so that they can use that 
very lucky time as a student when you've got more time um, to focus on those things during their training. Mm, so building a better feedback loop and also making sure students are aware from early on about their, uh, the time they have at their disposal, because that won't always be there. As a student, you're so privileged with the time that you have. And I think I didn't realise that until final year when I realised what the job of an F1 was going to be like. And I just think it's as educators, which we all are, no matter what grade you are, is trying to get students to appreciate that earlier on. And I don't know how you do that. I don't have an answer to that. But I just think it's good to remind educators that students do have that luxury almost. So... They, this is the time that they have to think about personalised care and these more complex things because as soon as you're on the job, you do not have the time <laughs> to sort of you think about those things. Thank you so much to our wonderful guests, Dr. Erti Maney, Anya de Jong and Amy Dyck for such an insightful and rich conversation. Now, I'd like to end today's episode with a call for action, a bit of an invitation to you all to support the shift in values and beliefs amongst the future generation to ensure individuals' needs are met within our day-to-day consultations. Let's ensure personalised care becomes part of every encounter, one student and one trainee at a time. Who will you teach? Are there any students who should hear this podcast? Any young trainees? Share your story and tag us on social media at Personalised Care Institute. We hope this conversation has been valuable to your learning and that you're now ready to apply for your Personalised Care Certificate of Learning or log your CPD points. Do visit the e-learning portal on the PCI website to record your evaluation and to access many more learning courses and resources. All websites and social media details are on the episode page. Thank you for listening and until next time, goodbye. See you soon.